Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Sam Clam and Larry, Larry Lobster are good friends. Larry Lobster dies. He ascends to heaven. He is given a harp and a pair of wings and a halo because, of course, he is an angel now. And he says to St. Peter, look, I have a very good friend. We were just in the process of opening a new undersea disco, and it was going to be great, and it's opening night. I would love if I could just go back down for one more night. And St. Peter says, yes, I will allow it, but you cannot lose any of these angel things, the halo and the harp and the wings. Do not misplace them. There is a blinding flash of light. He is alive again. There is a tearful reunion with his friend Sam the Clam. They open the disco. Larry Lobster ascends to heaven again. St. Peter says, now, do you have your wings? And Larry Lobster says, yes. Do you have your halo? And Larry Lobster says, yes. Do you have your harp? And Larry Lobster's like, oh no. I left my harp in Sam Clam's disco. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano. And from the Frank Stanton Studios in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Jonathan Colton. Geek Bard. Thank you, Jonathan. You've lost your title, Rico. Geek Bard? Yeah. I wore it with pride. And later we'll be speaking with our guest of honor, Lips Cudlow, frontman of the resurgent metal band Anvil. But first, time for small talk. So, Rico, this week in the news, President Obama introduced new regulations for the finance industry. Indeed. Your Pittsburgh Penguins won the Stanley Cup. Yay! Actually, that was last week, but I threw that in there for you. Thank you, man. And also, I didn't want to talk about the Lakers. <laughs> and the world watched hundreds of thousands of people take to the streets to buy the new iPhone. Oh, I followed that on Twitter. It was stirring. It was amazing. Of course, you can't possibly fit all the headlines on a cell phone screen. So as usual, we asked the folks at Marketplace to tell us a few of the rest. Amy Scott, New York Bureau Chief, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, hard times have prompted several counties in Michigan to turn some of their paved roads back into gravel. Is that safe? I don't know if it's safe, but it's cheap. Apparently, it costs about 10 times more to repave a road than to just tear it up and put down gravel. And, you know, some of these counties are broke, so... Oh, man. (laughs) It's kind of sad. But on the other hand, it's like, why not, right? The companies that made cars for the roads have also turned to gravel. (laughs) Bill Radke, host of the Marketplace Morning Report. What story are you going to talk about? Okay, so near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, this Vietnamese immigrant, John Pham, says, hey, if you've lost a job in this recession, come to my restaurant. I'll give you a bowl of pho, which is Vietnamese soup, for one penny. That's so generous of him. Exactly. Here's the thing, though. With pho in particular, they give you a bowl of broth and this pile of other stuff. You actually have to work for your soup. Like You're, you're like tearing basil leaves. It's true. It's not a handout at all, is it? You actually burn more calories sorting through pho than you get taking it in. True story. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter. What is your story this weekend? Boston sold Christmas. To Harvard? No. Um, Boston normally has this 8,000-foot enchanted village that it sets up, but it doesn't have the money to do that, so it auctioned it off. What is going on? Like, Michigan destroyed its roads to save money. Now Boston is selling Christmas. What other nice things can we get rid of? Like, is is Vermont going to sell its fresh mountain air? Los Angeles could buy that, except we don't have any money. (laughs) That's all right. We'll sell Keanu Reeves. And now... Time for cocktails. For the 25th time, yes. we tell you something that happened this week in history. 
then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like a history Batman with a booze robin. Exactly. And we know what they had on their belt holsters. First, the history part. This week back in 1967, Muhammad Ali was sentenced to five years in prison. Now, some folks at your dinner party will know it was because he refused to be drafted. Our friend Michelle Philippi is here to tell us a few things your guests might not know. Muhammad Ali's most famous match was against the U.S. military. Round one was in 1964. Ali's draft board declared he was physically able to serve in the Army, but intellectually, not so much. He flunked the aptitude test, some say on purpose. Even so, he got a draft exemption. But a couple years later came round two. The Vietnam War had escalated, and so had the Army's need for soldiers. They lowered the minimum aptitude score and told Ali to report for induction. He did. Now, the Army probably wouldn't have sent the most famous athlete on Earth into actual combat, but Ali felt war was against his Muslim faith. So when his name was called, he refused to step forward three times. Within minutes, he was charged with draft dodging and stripped of his boxing title. Suddenly, Ali symbolized two things many folks feared in the 60s, black pride and peaceniks. So he took a lot of flack, and he returned fire. My intention is to box, to win a clean fight. But in war, the intention is to kill, 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 and continue killing innocent people. When his case came to trial, the jury took just 20 minutes to return the verdict, guilty. Tied up in appeals, banned from the ring, Ali spent three of his prime years giving lectures until public opinion turned against the war. In 1970, he was allowed to fight again. He won his first bout in three rounds, and a year later, he won his case in the Supreme Court by unanimous decision. Who's the heavyweight champion of the world? That was the history lesson. Now it's time for the booze, or in this case, the non-booze. I'm on the line with Natalie Bovis Nelson, and she's known as the Liquid Muse. She actually just wrote a book on non-alcoholic cocktails, or mocktails, as we uh, don't call them. Since Muhammad Ali was a practicing Muslim, we thought it'd be appropriate to toast him with a non-alcoholic drink. So Natalie, what did Muhammad Ali's story inspire you to create for us? I called this one the Butterfly Sting. Oh, of course. was inspired by his fighting mantra, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Okay. All right, so the butterfly sting starts with one time sprig uh, muddled in the bottom of a cocktail shaker with half ounce of lemon juice. Mm -hmm. Next thing that we're going to do is add an ounce of the honey syrup. Now, the honey syrup is one part honey to one part water. And then we're going to add two ounces of apple juice. That's interesting. When I was a little kid, my grandfather would drink a little bit of whiskey, and I would pour my apple juice out in a similar glass to the exact same height and pretend it was whiskey. That is hilarious. It, it's either hilarious or my grandfather should have been arrested. <laughs> so you finish it up with the apple juice, and then... Then we're going to fill the shaker with ice, give it a nice hard shake, and then we're going to strain it into a chilled martini glass. Add a splash of soda water or non-alcoholic champagne. Mm, of course. And then lay uh, the other sprig of thyme across the surface of the drink. So the thyme kind of floats on the top of the drink like a butterfly, and the cocktail kind of stings yeah. <laughs> like a butterfly. Rico, Natalie's new book on non-alcoholic drinks is called Pregatinis. 
It's, yep. it's a book of recipes for expecting mothers. That title makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, if it makes you uncomfortable, you can read my new book. It's for parents of teenagers, and it's called Barbiturates. <laughs> <laughs> the tender years. I feel like I read that already. Listeners, send us your book pitches. Our email is dinnerparty at kpcc.org. Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. He floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. Our guest of honor this week is Lips Kudlow. His heavy metal band Anvil went from next big thing in the 80s to pretty much total obscurity. Now they're in their 50s, they're still playing, and a new documentary called Anvil, The Story of Anvil, made by one of their former roadies, has made them cult heroes and poster boys for perseverance. Lips, did you expect anything like this to happen while the film was being shot? That maybe Absolutely. Absolutely. The optimist that I am, the second that Sasha told me there was going to be a movie, I saw it finished and I saw massive stardom. You are so optimistic in the movie. And alive, you're smiling, and you seem so happy. This is not typical heavy metal behavior. Yeah, that's right. It's just been my outlook. It's I, I look at, at music as like pure pure expression. And for whatever reason, a lot of people zero in on real negative things and figure that that's what's entertaining if you're in a metal band. I think there's a lot more to it than that. I love to entertain. It's part of it's 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 in my soul. Nothing is like being in the face of your fans. There's a moment, and there are actual uh, beautiful moments, that human moments, where you're actually you're in the same room as the people that love you. We have two standard questions that we ask in every interview. The first is, what question are you tired of being asked? What question should we not ask you if we're seated next to you at a dinner party? Why don't you quit? Really bothers me. Are they still saying that? Absolutely. Even after this movie? Yeah. People have said things like, once the movie's over, you might as well quit because it will be over for the band. No one's going to care about you. Why don't you quit? What do you say to that? I ask them if they have a family and kids. Most say, yeah, we do. I do. So I go, do you still have sex with your wife? Why don't you stop? (laughs) The job is done, right? You've already got kids. What are you having sex for? Nice. Um, Our second question is sort of the converse. Tell us something that we don't know. Something that, like, if we were sitting down at a dinner party, no one there would know about you, even after seeing this film, perhaps. That inside, I feel myself to be just like everybody else. And I genuinely do not feel above my audience. Do you think that that is maybe one of the reasons why you're being embraced right now is because you've achieved that sort of humble outlook on life in a way? I think people may be really tired of hearing about rock stars that are all full of themselves. I'm one of those people. I really, I can't relate to it. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, when Van Halen had finished their second album, I went up to their bass player, Mike Anthony, and I went and I congratulated him on his success. And what he said to me, I'll never forget. He showed me his boots. They were snakeskin boots. And he said they cost him $15,000. And then his next statement was even more mind-boggling you like my boots wouldn't you like to be in them why would you say that to you i don't know why that's the epitome of being a really insecure jerk i notice you however are wearing sneakers i'm wearing sneakers that cost me 50 bucks 
So Brendan, a few years ago, Anvil was playing bowling alleys. Next month, they are opening for ACDC at Giant Stadium. Amazing. That is a true story. Meanwhile, Mike Anthony remains the guy in Van Halen who's not a Van Halen. Or David Lee Roth. Or David Lee Roth. But I heard he had boots made from David Lee Roth. (laughs) (laughs) They look strangely the same as his old ones. All right, everybody. For more about Anvil, plus cocktail recipes and more, check out our website at dinnerpartydownload.com. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we see what's up in the world of food. Rico, you know how I'm always saying it's what's on the inside that counts? Yes. Well, I was lying. That's okay. I don't believe anything you say anyway. Good, because in some cases, it's what's on the outside that counts. And here is one of those cases. The American Institute of Architects gives out its Restaurant Design Award next week. Hmm. And Pulitzer Prize winning food writer Jonathan Gold is one of the judges. All right. So I met him at one of his favorite cafes, Europon, in Pasadena, California, where the croissants are excellent, but the design... The design is almost secondary, but it's perfectly situated for what it is. You can look at the George Nelson lamp in the ceiling and ignore the stained acoustical tile. I was actually looking at the various greens, but I guess you're right. For a lunch spot, it's light and bright. You want it to be cheerful. I don't think you want something too designy for lunch. So as a food writer, how does restaurant design factor into your work? Everything around you is part of you know the restaurant experience. You know Whether the waiter's had a really bad day or whether the wine list is good, and whether the room you're in is pleasant. But Calvin Trillin, my favorite food writer of all time, once talked about barbecue and said that if the chef was good enough, he wouldn't care if he wanted to do his barbecue in a precise replica of the Petit Trianon. All right, hold on. I have to stop the tape there. Um, What? (laughs) You're in the middle of an interview. But, But Rico, did you understand what he just said? It's French. Le Petit is small. No, I don't. No. no, no, you didn't. I did not. Yeah, neither did I. But did you get the gist of what he was saying? That if you, if the food is good enough, it doesn't matter what the surroundings are. Okay, good. So, but, but why didn't you just ask him that while you were talking to him? Because at the time, I was stuffing my face with focaccia, <laughs> and I forgot to ask him. Right. I mean, everything's appropriate. Some things are actually better eaten off trucks. So what are some memorable restaurant designs that you've uh, written about or seen? Los Angeles has always been lucky in terms of restaurant design. We've had some amazing architects do spaces. And Frank Gehry did a restaurant called Rebecca's in Venice. It was an astonishing place, not least for the uh, 30-foot octopus on the ceiling and the glowing onyx. Sounds like a David Bowie concert. It was better than a David <laughs> Bowie concert. And the carne asada tacos didn't hurt either. Have you ever had a food experience ruined by just awful design? I'm not sure I've ever had a food experience ruined, but there have been wonderful places that I've gone to where every single surface is rough wood and rusted metal and flames jutting out of places where flames are not supposed to jut. And the idea that you're in Porcumeda's dungeon doesn't necessarily make what you're eating that much more delicious. That actually makes me think of those medieval restaurants which have some sort of eternal appeal. Why do people resort to such gimmicks? I think people like gimmicks in restaurants. There's a restaurant in New York called uh, Mars 2117, I think, where I managed to convince my five-year-old daughter that we were actually going to Mars. (laughs) I was also telling her the basic difference between Mars and Earth is the food is much better on Earth. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. To keep up with us between episodes, we deliver daily Dinner Party fodder on Twitter. 
follow us at Dinner Party DNLD. And you can also catch us on the Arts and Culture Show Off Ramp, hosted by John Raby and Queen of Kim. You'll find that at kpcc.org. Also, thanks this week to our researcher, Jessica Dial, to Kevin Ferguson and Christiania Clark. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. They'll be playing in the background of your summer bonfire. The song is called Jangling. Bon appétit. Singing.